All right, what's up, church family? Good to see you guys. Good to see you. Welcome to church, Memorial Day weekend, and you guys are at church. Come on, give yourselves a hand for that. You could be out on a lake somewhere. These holidays are really good. It helps to see who all the real Christians are in our church. So thank you guys for being real Christians. I'm joking. Those that aren't here, they're still real Christians. They're slid back, but they're still real Christians. I'm joking. I'm joking about that too. Uh, well, I'm glad that you guys are here. We are starting a new series, as Ricky mentioned, and, uh, and I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm thankful that I get an opportunity to communicate about this series, We Who Are. And it comes out of this verse. The premise of it comes out of Romans 12, 5. It says this, We who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And basically what that is saying is that the, the body of Christ may have a lot of people in it. How many of you guys want heaven to be crowded? Amen? That's a really good place to raise your hand. We really want a lot of people to be in heaven. Uh, and, and we're thankful for that. But the reality is this, that, that even though there are a lot of people, we are one body. It's the body of Christ. That's including all the churches. Every church that's lifting high the name of Jesus and communicating the word of God unapologetically. Man, we are the body of Christ. And we are many, but we're one body. And it implies to you too. Because what this verse is also saying is, is when we become believers and we surrender ourselves to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, we become a part of that body, but really we no longer belong to ourselves. We belong to the body of Christ. We give ourselves up so that the body of Christ can be healthy, so the body of Christ can continue to fulfill God's purpose, his eternal purpose in other people's lives so that other people can be joined and added to the body of Christ. And so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about principles of what it looks like to be a healthy body of believers, the body of Christ, certainly our church, but just in general, the body of Christ. What does it look like? For us to be connected, for us to have relationship, for us to figure out how we use the things that God has given us and the attitudes and the mentalities that it takes to successfully fulfill everything that God has asked us to do and be as a body of believers. My early 20s on a missions trip, I was down in Brazil and uh, we were stopping in villages along the Amazon River and preaching the gospel. It was an amazing trip. But we were in this, basically this huge houseboat. And the houseboat had two levels, an upper deck and a lower deck. And we had pulled off into a couple of coves along the way. Every once in a while we'd stop and we'd just kind of relax and swim and stuff. In one cove, actually, there was an alligator that I almost got eaten by. That's a different story for a different day. Well, that was pretty cool. But in a different cove, uh, one afternoon, we were swimming and hanging out. And I decided I want to try to dive off the top of this boat. And, uh, which I'd done that kind of thing before. But in this instant, when I dove, I overextended. And my legs came over my back. So when I hit the water, it's like my, my hands and my feet hit the water at the same time. It was not a pretty thing. Because uh, you're not supposed to bend that way. And, uh, uh, but I did, and, and so kind of hyper-extended my back. And so I, I was kind of stoved up for the rest of the trip. When I got back stateside, I went and saw a chiropractor. And, uh, and they, were, they were just checking out, and they could tell. There's like, this is, this is a really bad deal. And what they told me was that it was good that I had a little bit of core strength, because if I hadn't had core strength, I could have broke my back. Um, that really my core strength was, was probably what saved me from, from breaking my back. Um, but then they went on to discuss how important it was for me to continue to strengthen my core because that was the only way my back was going to be able to be healthy. 
uh, that really that's the case for everybody. They're just emphasizing that all health and all strength builds from the core. And without a strong core, it doesn't matter what else you do. It's not really going to help you. Because I'd been working out at that point in my life. I was working out in the gym probably four to six times a week. And so I was surprised when she was telling me that I really wasn't that strong. That I had tried to build a strong upper body and a strong lower body, but because my core wasn't as strong, it put me in a vulnerable position. So you can just remember that. Next time you go to your gym, you see that dude in there that has muscles that don't even exist on normal human beings. You know, those guys with no neck or at least a thick neck, 36-inch biceps, you know, huge upper body. Just go up to him, tap him on his huge deltoid. And whisper in the ear, yeah, but what about your core? And then just walk away. (laughs) Don't do that. They'll kill you. Uh, But the core stabilizes the entire body. So the health of movement in our lives comes from the core. Everything starts from your core. Well, the same is also true about the body of Christ. It is also true about the church. The fact of the matter is that we can build an exterior that can look really strong and really healthy, maybe because we're growing or because the music is decent. But if our core is weak, we are in a vulnerable position. And as long as our core is weak, we won't be able to accomplish everything that God has for us. So it's important for us as a church, as a body of believers, to identify and to live by What is at the true core of who we are as the body of Christ? And I want to talk about some of the principles today that I believe make for a strong body. The strong body of Christ. What is at the core of who we are? I'm going to be looking at this passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians. This is out of the message translation, so you'll probably need to bring up a Bible app. but We'll have it on the screens as well. In verse, or in chapter 3, starting in verse 16, it says this. Whenever, though, they turn to face God, as Moses did, God removes the veil, and there they are, face to face. They suddenly recognize that God is a living, personal presence, not a piece of chiseled stone. And when God is personally present, a living spirit, that old, constricting legislation is recognized as obsolete. We're free of it, all of us, nothing between us and God. Our face is shining with the brightness of his face. And so we are transfigured much like the Messiah. Our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful. As God enters our lives, we become like him. So this letter was written by Paul to the church in Corinth. And Paul was constantly, the the main purpose of the letters that he would write to these churches is he's trying to get them to a healthy place as a body of believers. The church in Corinth specifically, you had a lot of people that were trying to get people to turn back to the law, back to the Old Testament law, and saying, no, you still have to do these things. You still have to live by these rules. And there were other people that were trying to add in other beliefs to the word that weren't true to the gospel, that weren't true to what the message that Jesus had given. And so Paul is trying to get them back in a place where they're healthy and Christ-centered. And them to understand that, look, like when you encounter God, it changes you. You become real. You're not going to be constrained by the law, but you're free because of Jesus completing the law. And he's talking about all these things. And I want to talk about some of the things that I think are revealed in this passage of Scripture that can also help us 
be a strong body of believers. The first thing is this, a strong body is authentic. A strong body of believers, they are authentic. The first part of that scripture, whenever though they turn to face God as Moses did, he removes the veil. Everybody say veil. And they are face to face. There they are face to face. So a little bit of history, the wedding veil. Uh, You know, there's not always wedding veils in every wedding you probably go to anymore. But from the very beginning of marriage, Bible times even, the veil would be on the bride. And as the bride would come up, you wouldn't even be able to tell who it was. But the veil would remain on the bride until she was presented to the groom. And usually the, the father of the bride or the bride herself would be the one to lift the veil. And when she lifted the veil, it signified two things. First of all, to, to verify it is truly the bride. It truly is the girl who's supposed to be getting married. It would, it would verify that, but it would also symbolize at that point that she is ready to enter into covenant relationship with the groom. She's ready to come into real and intimate relationship with this man that she's going to commit her life to. I find that too many Christians are living their life in a veil. I find that there are a lot of Christians that, that profess Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that go to church, that do all the right things, but they have never revealed themselves. They've never removed the veil. And until you remove the veil and take the veil off of your life and show yourself for who you really are, you won't truly be able to experience the intimate love of your heavenly father through his son, Jesus, the groom. You are the body of Christ. You are the bride of Christ. But until you remove the veil and show yourself for who you really are, I don't think you truly get to experience the love, the grace, and the salvation that comes through Jesus that he would want you to. God wants us to be able to be real, to be ourselves. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we refuse to wear masks and play games. We don't maneuver and manipulate behind the scenes. We don't twist God's word to suit ourselves. Rather, we keep everything we do and say out in the open, the whole truth on display. So that those who want to can see and judge for themselves in the presence of God. Now what I've noticed is the world is desperate to experience real. Desperate to experience authentic, real people. And they search for it everywhere. They search for it through social media. They search for it through reality TV. Reality TV. That's why we love watching these shows where there's like a bunch of women trying to go after one guy or a bunch of men going after one girl. And so they've got these shows and they go on these dates where the helicopter comes in and picks them up and flies them to a tropical island somewhere where everything is perfect. It's the best food and it's just the most romantic. And we love watching this because it's like we want to vicariously live through that because we want that to be our reality. And it creates such a false sense of reality and identity. And that's why you see even in commercials, like even drug commercials, right? These drug commercials where in the middle of the commercials they are trying to show these people that take these drugs with these amazing social lives. 
Like, oh, they've got all these friends, and wow, they're, they're all models, and it's amazing. And then they go and they list all the stuff about the drug that could kill you. But you don't care about that part. You're like, I need that drug because, look, I will have friends, and they will all be perfect models. We're desperate for a sense of reality. But the truth is, too often, we haven't been real ourselves. And until we're willing to just face the good, the bad, and the ugly of who we really are, and not just expose that to God, but to expose it to the body of Christ, I don't think we really get to experience what it's like to be his bride, to experience his love, his acceptance, everything that he has to offer, Connect class, when we do our connect class, which is kind of like our membership class, if you will, um, one of the things that we ask the people that come to that class is, what was it about New Life Church that attracted you, that made you want to come back? And we get a lot of different answers. Uh, We get, well, the worship was good, or we love the kids' ministry. Uh, You know, people were friendly. But the number one answer that we get, more than anything else, is people say, Man, it was just real. It felt authentic. I felt like when people greeted me, like they were actually happy to see me. They were actually happy that I was there and at church. And I just appreciated that. Honesty and authenticity are so refreshing. (laughs) In a world that has become somewhat plastic. But here's the question. Is being yourself or being real, an excuse to never change? The answer is no. So no, you can't go around saying, I'm sorry, I'm just a self-centered, egotistical, manipulative jerk who loves the Cleveland Cavaliers, and there's just nothing I'm going to change about myself. It's just who I am. No, if you know that you're being a jerk and you're being prideful and you're being all those things and you're not repenting, that's called sin. And you can't go around saying, well, it's just my personality. If your personality doesn't line up with the character of Christ, then it's sin. And so the, 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 the way that you are truly authentic is you have to also be truly teachable. The only way that you can truly be transformed into the likeness of Christ is you also have to be willing to contrast who you are with Christ and say, uh, not there. I don't add up. I don't look like Jesus yet. But the truth is this, until you can be real and be honest and be authentic about where you're at, you can never be transformed into the likeness of Christ, which would be what his will ultimately is. It says in Romans 12, 9, love from the center of who you are and don't fake it. Don't fake it. The problem is there's too many people that show up to church and they're not acting like jerks. They're not acting, you know, out of line. They're acting the opposite. They're acting like they're fine and they've got it together and nothing's wrong. Their family's fine. Their marriage is fine. And too many people walk in with burdens and hurts and struggles and they never get prayed for, they never tell anybody. And they're living in a veil. They're living in a veil. They're not truly experiencing everything that Christ has for them. The love and the acceptance that can be found when you're truly 
real. Growing up in church, man, I can relate to this, especially before my parents got divorced. So up until I was 13 years old, I remember going to churches. And some of y'all can relate to this. Some of y'all, I'm getting ready to describe your morning. But I remember being in our truck and driving to church. And it was like revelations in there. You know, like wars and rumors of wars. And there was yelling and there was screaming and there was fighting. But I remember pulling onto the parking lot of whatever church we were attending at that time. And it wasn't even like it had to be said. It was just like this un, unspoken reality that as soon as we pulled onto the parking lot, the fighting stopped. Everybody put on their fake smile. And it was time to go to church. So we all got out of our truck looking like the Joker and Batman. <laughs> and we would walk into church. And the problem was, Some of the churches we went to, they were fake too. Uh, Maybe you've experienced this, but it's like they don't even, they don't even speak real English. Like you walk up, good morning, brother. Good morning, brother. How are you? I am blessed by the Lord Almighty. Amen. Well, praise the Lord of the harvest. Isn't he good? Amen, brother. I'm just blessed. I'm so blessed. I'm just blessed to be on this side of the dirt this morning. Amen. Amen. I know what you're saying, brother. Who talks like that? Do you talk to your mama with that mouth? It's not real. And you're not really experiencing what it's like to be a part of the body of Christ. We want you to feel free to be yourself, flaws and everything. Because you can't grow in God until you become real with God and people. And people. Let's not be a church where people have to act right, dress right, and be right before they can come and just be a part of who we are. One of the things that I've always loved about New Life Church is our dress code. I've always loved our dress code. I love how we can have a group of bikers show up in their leathers because they're going to ride their Harleys after church and nobody's going to look at them weird. I love how we have a cowboy in a cowboy hat show up and wear his hat during service. I love how we have people that are tatted up, head to toe, and we're not going to look at them weird or crazy. I love how we have people that can just come and experience. I love that our dress code has always been this. Yes, please wear clothes. Just, Just wear clothes. We appreciate that. We are far from the Garden of Eden now, and the only good thing we got out of the fall was clothes. Come on now. Because let's admit it, it would get really, really weird and really gross. (laughs) Somebody was sitting in that chair before you in the first service. (laughs) Moving on. Number two, a strong body seeks his presence. A strong body, a strong body of believers seeks his presence. His presence has to be of the utmost importance. Back to that scripture, suddenly, they recognize suddenly that God is a living and personal presence, not a piece of chiseled stone. In other words, it's not the structure, it's not the building, 
It's not the natural, tangible things that ultimately connect you to God. It is his presence. And his presence has to be the most important thing. It's the presence of God that changes people. It's the presence of God that heals marriages. It's the presence of God that breaks strongholds and addictions. It's the presence of God that softens hearts no matter how long they've been away from him. It's the presence of God that heals diseases. It's the presence of God that restores relationship between fathers and sons and mothers and daughters. It's the presence of God that changes people. And so that has to be something that we pursue with everything that we have. It says in Exodus 33, Moses said to him, if your presence does not go up with us, do not send us up from here. The context of this is the Israelites, they are in the wilderness, in an uncomfortable place, not in AC, not in a nice room with the right lighting and all that stuff. They're in the wilderness. And the truth is the Israelites had a bad attitude about it, but their leader Moses got it right. Their leader Moses said, look God, I know that you are sending us into the promised land, but we are not interested in receiving your promise if we can't have your presence with it. And so we're not interested in running after the promise and what you promised to our ancestors in this great place if it's void of your presence. And the truth, and that is the truth about church too. The fact of the matter is we can build a nice building and we can have good worship and we can have great kids ministry and we have all these things, but I guarantee you this, if it is void of the presence of God, eventually it will die. It won't mean anything. And so before we turn on lights, before we play a lick on an instrument or, or sing in any kind of song or do anything for the kids, we are pursuing in desperation on our faces for his presence. His presence has to show up and help us. A strong body of believers pursues his presence. There's so many stories of people that have talked to us about this. The truth is this, though. There are a lot of people that don't even know how to qualify it. They don't even have to talk about it. Why? Because we live in a culture, we live in a city, and in a community, in a nation that unfortunately is getting further and further away from his presence, and so they don't get to experience it. So when they do, they don't even know what to talk about. They don't know how to, to articulate it. So a while back, this lady comes up to me after service. She said, I just want to introduce myself. I want to introduce myself because I'm the lady who cries at every service. And I know you've seen me crying at every service. And I want you to know, like, I'm okay. I just can't help it. When I get in the presence of God, it just moves me. Now, you need to know this. I'm not saying that every person needs to be crying. Let's be real. Let's be authentic. But I could tell, listening to this lady, that's what was happening. Man, she's just experiencing the presence of God. I've had other people, they don't even know, they don't know how to talk about it. They would, they would describe like, hey, like even as we were pulling onto the parking lot, we could tell like something's different. Something's different about this place. And then when we got out of our car, we we're walking in and we we're mean people and they're greedy. And we're like, it's like whatever that something is, it seems like it's like it, it's, it's, there's more. There's a little more. And then the music started and we didn't know all the songs and everything, but 
But we can just tell that, that whatever that thing, there was even more there when they were singing and there was a worship. And then it went away a little bit when you were talking. But, and then, <laughs> but it seemed like at the end, like it came back again. And I'm like, hey, man, that's just the presence of God. That's the presence of God. And the truth is we can't take credit for any of it. We are a conduit. That's all we are. But man, is it good to be a conduit for the presence of God so that people can experience who he is. So they can encounter a loving, real God. That scripture goes on to say, and when God is personally present, a living spirit, that old constricting legislation is recognized as obsolete. We're free of it. All of us. Nothing between us and God. Our faces shining with the brightness of his face. Number three, a strong body is a light to the world. A strong body is a light to the world. This constricting legislation, what what it's talking about, it is the old law. Now you have to understand this. Jesus did not come to abolish the law. He came to complete the law. But Jesus became the perfect fulfillment of the law. And through that, it meant that they didn't have to live by a list of rules to have relationship with God. That Jesus paid the price for that. And so in that place is freedom. In that place... You're not trying to earn relationship with God. And so living like that, what it's saying is that way of thinking is obsolete because of Jesus. You're not, you don't have to live under that anymore. But I find that too many Christians don't live like they're free. Too many Christians still live in a place of legalism and religion. And in that place, look, we can't set a world free that is living in bondage if we ourselves are not living free from bondage. The only way that we can shine and that the brightness of the gospel can shine brighter through us is we need to live in freedom. In freedom. And in the Bible Belt, This is a major issue. One of the biggest issues is what we would call a religious spirit. Where people think like, man, you've still got to earn your way to God. And so there's a lot of legalism around that. A lot of rules. And when people are living in that place, it'll keep us from being able to relate and reach the lost. God doesn't want us to live in that place. The problem is that some people prefer to think and live in a place where they think their relationship with God depends on the good and bad things they do. Like some of you would prefer me to tell you, well, the way that you, you receive eternal life, the way you get to go to heaven is you've got to crawl on your hands and knees from here to Fort Smith, quoting scripture the whole way. And if you will do that, then you will receive eternal life. And some people, and maybe even some of you, you prefer to hear that because that helps you be able to wrap your mind around how an infinite God could somehow forgive you. The problem is the rest of the world is going to look at you crawling on your hands and knees and call you a freak. And the rest of the world's not going to look at you and say, oh, 
I just, I've never met one person that has woke up in the morning and said, you know what I want today? I want to find a relationship with God, with a God, that the way that I have relationship with him is I get to try to perform well enough and do enough good things for the rest of my life that will earn his love and acceptance. I've just never met anybody that has communicated like that. And I find that too many of us live in that same place and not in freedom. God has called us to be a shining light of his message and of the gospel, the truth and the grace of it. The truth and the grace of it. And we are not going to compromise the word of God and we're not going to compromise the message of the gospel, but we want to package this eternal message in a way that people can understand it and a way that they can relate and it's relevant to them. 1 Corinthians 9.22 says this, I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Look, we are going to change methods all the time. We will just never change the message. We will change our method all the time. I give you my word. We will never compromise God's word and his gospel. We, we will change the way we deliver it as many times as we need to in order to reach people where they're at. What are some of the ways that we do that as a church? Well, Jesus did this. Jesus did this in his time. As we read through the Bible, we read the parables, we, we may just kind of glaze over them like, okay, that's a kind of a cool story and, you know, whatever. But you don't understand that at that time, it was revolutionary. It was revolutionary that Jesus, first of all, would be outside of the temple, not reading from the prophets, communicating an eternal message to people. Revolutionary. But what he would do is he would talk to people in terms that they understood and related to. We read them now. We may not relate to them, but back then it was agriculture. So we talk about planting seeds and sowing and harvest and these types of things. And people were sheep herders. And so we talk about sheep and shepherds and those types of things. Well, look, that wouldn't work as well for me now, right? Like if I went to meet with you and you were having a difficult time, understanding how much God loved you and how God was pursuing you. And if I went to you like, let's say, for example, you lost one of your sheep. Uh, oh, you don't have any sheep. Well, oh. no, in Cabot, I'd say, let's just say, for example, you lost one of your kids. Because that could happen in Cabot. Because we know how to have kids around here. And you knew that your other kids were safe and in a good place. What would you do to find the one that was lost? How would you pursue them? What price would you pay to find the lost child? That's the way that God is pursuing you. But Jesus would speak in these terms so that people could relate to them. If Jesus was here now, though, I mean, he would, he would use terms that we would relate to. He'd use terms like Google and Instagram and interstate. And he'd hashtag his tweets with things like Jesus Juke <laughs> and WWID. What would I do? You know, stuff like that. But he would relate to people. How do we do it as a church? A lot of ways. One way is our music. Our music. Because what we have found is most people, maybe some of you do, but most people don't get in their car and start 
looking through all their radio stations trying to find the choir channel. Or, man, where just has the best hymns on the radio today? Majority of people are not looking for that. We love hymns. Some of you love hymns. But some of, you, some of us don't even understand the context of where hymns came from. Because hymns were written a couple hundred years ago, but when they were written originally, they were revolutionary too. Because these people that were getting saved, coming out of bars, they would try to go into churches, but the music was stale and it didn't relate to them. So they said, what if we took the music that sounds like what people are hearing in the bars, we take the music, but we put godly lyrics to them. I think people could relate to them better. People could connect with God. And that's where hymns came from. The problem is that was 200 years ago. But some people are still saying, that's the only way to worship God. Well, we will put a hymn in our music from time to time. We appreciate hymns. But we also think that we should do music that sounds like what people are listening to now. But then put the message of Jesus in them. And if we can do that, maybe people can connect with it, relate and connect to the presence of God. And it can help them in their lives. Big screen is another example of a way that we will try different methods to reach people. Big screen is where we take movies that are out in culture and we'll, we'll bring them and we'll show clips from them in church, in services. Like people are eating candy and popcorn in the middle of service and drinking soda, Coke for all y'all in the South. And what do we do? We take those movie clips and we talk about how those, the biblical principles that can be in some of those movies and what we can learn from them that apply. So what's the purpose? Why do we do that? It's to teach people, look, you don't just learn and hear from God during a service. You can learn and hear from God in your daily walk. Every day you can learn and grow in God, including when you go to watch a movie. In fact, don't just go watch a movie and just take it for what it is, but ask the Holy Spirit to give you a filter for you to see what is something I can learn that is an eternal perspective or principle. And if I can't find any of that in this movie, maybe I don't need to be watching that movie. But that you can learn. Number four, a strong body reflects the character of Christ. A strong body reflects the character of Christ. Going back to our original scripture, and so we are transfigured much like the Messiah. Our lives gradually become brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. We become like him. As we grow in Christ, we should become more like him. Well, what were the primary ways that Jesus demonstrated love to people? What was the primary example that Jesus set for us that we should be reflecting to the world around us? It says in Mark chapter 10, but among you, it'll be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be the first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the son of man Jesus came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. The primary ways that Jesus demonstrated his true character is he served and he sacrificed. He served and he sacrificed. He came underneath people and lifted them up. He helped people. We will never be as strong as a body of believers or as a body of Christ without every person that calls himself a Christ follower using their gifts and using their talents to the best of their ability to build and serve his kingdom. 
A strong body has to have members that understand this principle and live by it. But some of you may not feel like you have much to offer. Okay, well, there's good news. I can't see a lot of examples in the Bible where someone showed up and said, I have this amazing gift that all of you need. Aren't you thankful that I'm here now? There are a couple of examples of that, that, and when that happened, it didn't work out well for people. Samson, Saul, these are people that showed up saying, I'm, I'm kind of a big deal. All right, I've got a lot to offer. You all need to recognize what I've got to offer around this place. No, most of the time, the people that God used showed up not feeling like they had anything. They didn't feel like they were qualified, and you don't need to feel like you're qualified. God doesn't call qualified people. He just calls willing people, and he makes them qualified. But he does need willingness. He does need somebody to be willing to show up and say, hey, I don't know that I've got a whole lot, but here's what I do have. And so if you want to use it somehow, I'm willing it reminds me of the little boy who showed up on the scene when Jesus is preaching to probably upwards of ten to 15,000 people, but they weren't near a Taco Bell, and everybody was hungry. And so this little boy comes walking up, and he says, well, I packed a Lunchable. And Jesus is like, okay, we've got this. It's five loaves and two fish. And I'm sure that little boy knew. He's looking at the crowd around him saying, I don't have very much. But what I do have, I willingly give it. Because he knew it wasn't about what he had. It was what he had in the hands of a capable God. And if he gave it to him, then God could do something amazing with it. And the truth is, you may not feel like you have a lot, but you can open a door and smile and greet somebody coming into church. And you can serve in our kids' ministry. You could serve coffee to someone or help somebody find a parking spot. Or you could be a part of a life group or help lead a life group. Or you could be a part of Dream Center and go and do an outreach somewhere. You can do something. And if you will take whatever little you feel like you have, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be fully developed. You just have to be willing. But if you will take that and put it in the hands of Jesus, he can multiply it and help us reach thousands of people with an eternal message. The truth is this, you may never directly preach the gospel to a crowd of people like I'm doing right now. Most of you would prefer never to have to do that. It's the greatest fear you ever have. You may never directly do that, but you will indirectly make the message of Jesus Christ accessible, relevant, and powerful to somebody that's coming into this place. But you've got to be willing to use it. You've got to be willing to take it and just place it in the hands of Jesus. A strong body reflects the character of of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says this, each person is given something to do that shows who God is. Every person is given something that shows who God is. Everyone gets in on it and everyone benefits. All kinds of things are handed out by the Spirit and all kinds of people. The variety is wonderful. And it goes on to list what some of those gifts are. And then it goes on to say, all these gifts have a common origin, but are handed out one by one, by one Spirit of God. He decides who gets what and when. So the great news is this. You don't need to compare your gift to what you have to anybody else. Don't do that. Comparison will steal your joy and your peace quicker than anything else in your life. You just identify, let the Spirit of God identify what He has given you, and then you go use it to the best of your ability. Whatever it is, just be faithful with it. Be faithful with it. 
It may not be perfect, but use what you have. It reminds me of our old building. How many of y'all were here in our old building? How many of y'all were here? Okay, everybody that's not raising your hand, you're welcome. (laughs) You're sitting in a nice building, all right? Because our old building, God help us. Look, our old building, we, we had like six designated parking spots for the building. The rest of the parking was everywhere else. Like we used other people's parking lots. Some of y'all parked in other people's yards. We're still apologizing about that. But we just parked all over the place. I mean, people had to walk like 300 yards to even to get into the church. We had no parking lot. And then every once in a while, the carnival would show up and take like 50% of our parking lot. They just show up unannounced. We didn't know when they were coming. They'd never told us. And so one Easter Sunday, the Saturday night before Easter Sunday, the carnival shows up and takes 50% of our parking right before the biggest Sunday of the year. And we're just like, oh, okay, well. But some carnies came to church and some carnies got saved and got set free. So praise God. But we had no parking lot. We, we had hot and cold water, but the only place you could find the hot water is in the toilets. The plumbing got messed up. This was a hot building too. How many of y'all, y'all are sitting in a really comfortable room right now? Because our air conditioning used to stink. I mean, it was horrible. It was so bad. We'd run sprinklers on the roof just to try to cool the building down. It was horrible. The only cold place in the whole building was in the bathroom. Thankfully, you could sit on the toilet and it would warm you up. The wiring was horrible. Like you wanted to be, I had to pray in the spirit just to turn on lights because I wasn't sure if I was going to get shocked that morning or not. But the point is this. We took what God had given us. We made it as excellent as we possibly could. We made it the best that we possibly could and we stewarded it, and we used it for his glory and for his kingdom. And I believe because our hearts were not that this is a great, perfect building. I still don't know why some of y'all came to church back then. I don't think I would have. But because we used what God has given us, even though it wasn't perfect, and we used it to the best of our ability, I believe it's the reason why he's blessed us with, with, with what we have right now. And the same is true with you. What you have doesn't have to be perfect. You can have some bad wiring, You could have some bad plumbing. (laughs) You could be messed up. But if you just come and offer what you have, God will honor it. God will bless it. Number five, a strong body values souls. Each person has a soul and its value because every person, and every person matters to God. Every person matters to God. I don't know if you've ever heard this before. Maybe you've thought this before. Well, I just want to go to a church where it's quality more than quantity. I understand the heart behind that. We think you can have both. We believe that we can grow bigger and smaller at the same time. We should be adding people to the kingdom of God daily and weekly. Every week and every day, just like the original church did, they added to their number daily. We believe that that can happen, but we believe also that we can grow deeper in relationship and deeper in discipleship. But the only way it happens is if every person in here and every person that calls themselves a believer, a part of the body of Christ, a member of this church says, but the only way it happens is I have to value every soul. 
But if I will value every soul like Jesus valued souls, then we can grow big and small and focused at the same time. People can have a deep understanding of who Christ is and be a fully devoted follower of Christ. Jesus set this example time and time again where he would leave crowds of people because of the value of a soul. Remember the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus goes out of his way to encounter this woman who is living in adultery, who's living in fornication, who had been married four previous times with living with a man who was not her husband. And she's in shame and she's in guilt and condemnation and she's out gathering water in the time of day when no one else does because she didn't want anybody else to see her because of her shame, because of her guilt. But there she is and she encounters Jesus. And you have to recognize that Jesus did not ignore the truth of her sin. In fact, he brought it up. He spoke to her about it, but then he bathed it in grace. And he told her, said, yeah, I know that this is your sin and that is separating you, but I can bring you living water that can change you and save you and give you life and life to the full. But he valued her to pursue her, to find her so that she can know that message. And because he communicated the message to her, she turned around and went and an entire village got saved because of it. Because she felt valued, others felt valued too. And it's the same thing in the body of Christ. We have to value individual souls. And if we will do that, there is no telling what soul we might impact that could impact thousands. We never know when the next Billy Graham is gonna be sitting in a chair, even next to you, that doesn't know Jesus, but could encounter him and it could change the face of history because somebody valued them to invite them. Just get here. Let God do something. We have to value souls. So you want to know what drives us? We're driven by eternity. What drives me as a pastor, this is it. It's the value of souls. What drives our decision-making as a church is the value of souls. What drives what we do with our budget and our money, it's this. It's the value of souls. The way that we plan our services, it's the value of souls. All of it. You want to know why we ask you to serve? It's the value of souls. It's the value of souls, the reality of eternity. We'll do everything we can to save a life. We will do anything short of sin to have somebody come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. They're that valuable. And why? Because eternity is a long time to be wrong about Jesus. And every single one of us, at one point or another, we're gonna stand before God and we are gonna be held accountable as to what we did with this man named Jesus. What did we do with him? The truth is this though, even if we are a believer, we are still gonna be held accountable to what we did with Jesus. In other words, yeah, you were saved, but were you faithful in making sure that other people got the opportunity to hear the same message that you heard? But because that is a reality, and because heaven and hell are real, we value souls. And that is why every week we give an invitation for people. We give an invitation every single week and we have seen people every week get changed. Every week come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. We tell them, look, you can make a decision right there in your chair, but your relationship with God was never meant to be private. It's meant to be public. People need to know that you're a believer. You can make the decision private in your chair, but at one point or another, you need to tell somebody about it. You need to get baptized to let people know 
I've committed my life to Jesus. But it starts with people just understanding you are loved, you are valued by the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the creator of the universe. He loves you unconditionally. There's nothing you can do good or bad that will ever cause him to love you any more or less. He is love and he loves you and he has a plan for your life. And the Bible says that your sin separates you from him and we are all sinners. And until we come to the place where we admit that and confess that and say the only way that I can be near God is through his son, Jesus, and the sacrifice that he made, the perfect lamb of God, the savior of the world, but he didn't just stay dead. He defeated my death. He defeated my sin and he came back to life. And every person that confesses him as Lord and savior can be saved and have a hope for heaven and eternity with God valuable. God doesn't just want to save you though. He wants to give you a purpose, but I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the first thing first, his presence, the call of his spirit for you to have relationship with him. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. If you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, or maybe you've never done it for real, like you've never just been real and sincere before God. And you're ready to surrender your life to him. Or maybe you did at one point and, and it felt very genuine, very real, but you, you feel like you're a million miles away from God right now. Maybe you need to come back to him. Maybe you need to rededicate your life to him today. Well, whatever place that you're in, whatever place that you're in, he's here and he's ready. And the truth is he's never been far from you. He's always been near. He's always just been waiting for you to turn to him. He loves you. He loves you. If you're here today and you're ready to commit your life to Jesus, I'm not gonna embarrass you. I promise that. That wouldn't be what God would want. But I am gonna ask you to be bold. I'm not gonna point you out. But between me, you, and God, I'm gonna ask you to be bold. Like Jesus was bold for you. That's you on the count of three. I just want you to put your hand up and just say, that's me. And me as, as a brother in Christ, I just want you to know that I see that hand and I'm gonna pray for, with you and for you this morning. If that's you, count of three, one, two, three, hands up if you need Jesus this morning. Got it, got it. Yes, as soon as I see your hand, you put it down. I just want you to know I see you. I got this. Raising your hand doesn't get you saved. Anybody else? Make sure I see you. Yes, sir. Thanks, man. Thanks for being bold. Yes, sir. God's gonna honor. Yes, man. Got it. Anybody else? I just need Jesus. I'm ready. I don't want to live without him anymore. Got it. Yes. Yes, man. Yes, sir. Anybody else? Okay. Every person, just raise your hand. Just talk to God. Be honest with him. Just say, God, here's my life. And I know that it, it's messed up. And I know that I've made a lot of mistakes. I know that, that it's called sin. I know I can't save myself from my sin. And I don't understand everything about it, but in faith right now, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. Thank you. I ask for your forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sin. Past, present, and future, I need your forgiveness. And I believe that you came, Jesus. You died on the cross. You rose from the grave right now I surrender my life to you I know I can't keep living any way that I want to live and that's not the way I want to live anyway I want to live according to your plan 
my plan does not work, but I wanna know what your plan is. Help me to understand your plan. Help me to understand your purpose. Lead me by your Holy Spirit. Help me to understand your word. God, I wanna be connected to the body of Christ so I can grow and be challenged and encouraged. God, thank you. Thank you for giving me a new life in you today. This is the beginning of something life-changing. Thank you. God, I thank you for every person that just said that prayer. We love them, and I know that you love them. Help us as a church to help them in the process of becoming fully devoted followers of Christ. God, help us as a church to be strong, not in our appearance, Lord, but at our core, at the core of who we are. Help us to be strong and effective for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We have several people raise their hands to give their life to Jesus. Let's give them a hand. Let's give God some glory in this place. Amen. Welcome to the family.